morning, everybody. If you want to turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 33, that's where we'll be this morning. Chapter 33. Um, there's a men's conference coming up down in St. Joe. Uh, we sent out the email, and um, we don't have a sign-up sheet. It's just something you sign up for on your own. It's uh, uh, through Eventbrite, I believe, and so you just do that online. Um, as opposed to us collecting the money and sending it off and all that. It's just easier if you can do it yourself. But um, in that email, you can kind of, uh, or on the Facebook post or whatever, you can you can let everybody know that you're going, and then maybe you can hook up with rides there um, if you want to double up or, or catch a ride with somebody. Anyway, that's going to be coming up uh, April 30th and, and May 1st. Um, it's a Friday and a Saturday uh, down in St. Joe at, uh, uh, or actually down in Kansas City. I'm sorry, it's all the way in Kansas City in, in Jim's church, so... Uh, anyway, if you need more information on that and you don't get the Facebook, you don't get, uh, you don't get the emails, let me know and I can try to fill you in as much as I can or, or even uh, get you something in writing. I can print something off for you if you'd like that. Anyway, that's coming up. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning that we're able to spend time in it. Uh, beautiful, beautiful sunny day today. And uh, what a day to be reminded of your mercy um, for this Manasseh, this uh, wicked, evil king, and yet... Uh, with repentance, um, he's forgiven. And Lord, there's nobody outside of your reach, and we're so thankful for that. Lord, for those of us who know you and are walking with you, and, and that may not be where we are this morning, we're in a place of desiring to be closer to you and to grow, help us to see the compromise here. Help us to see the path towards um, a backsliding, uh, that we would avoid it ourselves, that we wouldn't uh, fall into the trap um, that Manasseh does, um, that we can avoid those things without having to go through the hardship that he does. Um, so Lord, help us to learn from others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. These things are written for our admonition. Um, the only people that, reads the, that read these stories are those that are walking with the Lord generally. You know, you've got your Bible in hand, you're, you're trying to get closer to God, and then you read a, a story like this. And for many of us, Manasseh doesn't even, I mean, he's just someone to point a finger at for honestly, like, wow, that guy needs the Lord, you know. Um, and yet we can learn from these things if we take it to heart that we don't read that just so that we can, oh, well, at least I'm not Manasseh. We don't want to come away from the Bible saying things like that, but we do want to say to ourselves, how did he get there? How did he end up in a place like that? How does someone who is raised up under a, a father like Hezekiah, who led a reformation in the nation, turn immediately around and bring the nation to a complete opposite. Uh, just, they're, they're just so far from each other. How do you do that? How do you get raised in that kind of environment and miss it, you know, and miss the point? Now, maybe Hezekiah, all we're reading about when we read about him is his... Outward appearance, maybe it was all show, maybe behind scenes with his kids. He wasn't all that. He wasn't like he was as a king. I don't know those things. The Bible rarely gives us a glimpse into how these men raised their kids. Um, scripture tells us that if you train up a child in the way he should go, that in, when he's old, he will not depart from it. And maybe that's, this is an example of that. Manasseh was trained up in the ways of the Lord, rebelled away from his family, away from everything that he had learned. And yet at the end of his life came back to God the hard way? Maybe. I don't know. All I know is when I read this and when I study these things, I look at Manasseh and I know that I'm a man of like passions. I mean, I'd like to say that I'm a man of like passions like Isaiah and I'm a man of like passions like Jeremiah. I like, I like to say that. 
But I know I'm, I'm just a man, and so therefore I could be just like Manasseh also, as well as some of the big spiritual leaders of the scriptures. And so I pay attention to these things, and I hope we do. Verse 1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, but he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. That's a pretty fast break, but we're going to take a break already after verse 2, because this goes way back to Abraham. This process of Israel taking over the land goes all the way back to Abraham when he was told to leave his country and his family and to head to this place. And he wandered around and never settled in the land, but he was walking around that land. And God was showing him, this is the land that's going to be your heritage. This is the land where your descendants are going to grow up. This is what I'm going to give you. But it's so far away, so far away that he just lived in a tent. He always lived in a tent. He never actually settled in, never built a city, never built walls. He was looking for that house that was made without men's hands. It was made by God, basically. And he never actually settled there. And then time progresses, and he has kids, and we get a couple generations later, and we have someone named Jacob born to him, whose name gets changed to Israel, and he's got 12 sons, and Joseph gets tossed into prison and gets carried away to Egypt, the famine in the land, that whole group of, that whole family, that little tiny, you know, tribe of 70 people ends up in Egypt and comes out of Egypt 400 years later, millions strong, to finally come into this land. Now, I say all that because God just said, the land of Canaan, this group of people that I've had my eye on for a long time, has been in rebellion against me for 400 plus years, generations, and I'm slowly but surely going to bring someone else into this land because I can foresee that they're not going to repent, but I'm giving them 400 years to turn back or to turn away from their sin, and they don't. And so he brings in this new group of people and says, I don't want you doing anything like what they're doing. I want you to only obey me. And we get to this place now to where God says that this guy within one fell swoop brings them all the way back to what the nation of Canaan is doing. How does that happen? I mean, this is, he, he has no idea probably what he's doing, but this is 600 years of undoing in 55 and probably shorter than that, he probably spent 25 or 30 years doing it. So it probably took him 15 years to undo and bring them all the way back to that place of where God looks at now the nation of Israel and says, you're no better than Canaan, the people that I evicted from this land and brought you into. You act just like them. It's a terrible place to be. How does that happen to somebody? Hezekiah led the nation in repentance, led them in reformation, led them in uh, revival. But as soon as he's gone, so what does that tell you about the revival and the repentance and all that? As soon as he's gone, the very next generation goes full tilt in the other direction. It means it wasn't embraced. There's a remnant. There always is. And keep that in mind as we read this. There's always a group of people in the nation of Israel that were completely devoted to God and were sickened by what they were surrounded by. That's always the case. But for the majority of the nation of Israel, they went headlong into this sin. Oh, they couldn't. It's like they couldn't wait for Hezekiah to die so they can get back to what he had destroyed. What he had torn down, what he had chopped up, ground to powder. Remember what he did to all the high places and all the idols? Oh, he's gone. 
And for 55 years, they begin to absolutely become apostate from the Lord to where they don't look any different. Hmm. This uh, Manasseh, you understand he's 12 years old when he becomes king. If we do the math, that means that was three years after Hezekiah's life was extended. Now, I don't want to say that I wish Manasseh was never born, but it is interesting to think that if Hezekiah had just died when he was supposed to and not begged God for more time and just let things go, that Manasseh wouldn't have been born. Now, I'm not saying they wouldn't have done with the next guy, but the, the next boy, uh, uh, we, we get to Ammon, and then we go to Josiah, and Josiah's a really good little boy. Um, he's a nice one. Um, but we would have skipped maybe 55 years of heartache, maybe. You know, just something to think about. The permissible will of God. God's got a plan for us and a, and a desire for us and good works for us to walk in. And he had told Hezekiah, that's it, you're done. Prepare yourself, you're going to die. And he got upset about it. I don't want to go. I want more time. And I don't blame him, you know. You're not sure. It seems like more time in this world is, is good, um, we need to have a good heavenly perspective. I think that'll help us when we pray or when we come to that moment in time when God's going to take us home. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord, and that's far better, according to Paul, who had a really good heavenly mind. So what if he hadn't asked for that time? He wouldn't have had this boy. We wouldn't have had these problems, and this nation wouldn't be in this condition. Maybe, maybe. Later on, we're going to discover... Um, that the Babylonian captivity, remember that was Hezekiah's problem last week, was he got this extra time and he got so excited and then the Babylonians came and said, oh, we're so glad you're feeling better. He, he said, let me show you around. And he showed him everything, showed him all of the, uh, 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 the armories, all the treasuries, everything, and Babylon's just taking notes. Mm -hmm. I mean, this guy's given us the map to this place. But he didn't care. And even when the prophet told him, you know, that this is going to lead to destruction, right? His, his response, remember last week, was it's not going to happen to me, though, right? That's all he cared about was himself. Hmm. Later on, when Babylon, kings later, several kings later, comes and leads the nation of Israel captive, second kings points to this moment right here with Manasseh. There are other kings that do other things that aren't good, but he doesn't blame, the history doesn't blame the last king that was doing wicked in the sight of the Lord. It says they're taken captive because of what Manasseh did. Goes back five kings or so. Interesting. Manasseh sets in motion something that's going to ha not happen to him or his kids. Or, but years later, finally, Babylon gets their hands on the nation of Israel and takes them and absolutely evicts them from the land for 70 years. Brings them back, which we'll read, but takes them out. It's amazing what our decisions and how they can affect, you know, you think about it's us, right? I mean, it's hard not to fall into Hezekiah's mindset sometimes, but I'm going to be okay, right? I mean, I feel close to the Lord and I feel like I'm walking great and um, I feel like God's blessing me but am I making the decisions for generations and generations later? You know, I'm thankful for, as we read, you know, American history to our kids and we've taught all of our kids, American history. And we, we go through the revolution and how that all came about. And some of the things that were said, and man, that Samuel Adams was a bold guy. 
don't know if you've ever read some of Samuel Adams and what he wrote in the Federalist Papers. It's, uh, wow. I don't know how I would, I don't know how he, he would not be accepted today, the way he spoke. I mean, he talked about, that's fine if you want to, if you want free, or if you want, if you want to live in servitude, that's fine. Then you lick the boots because I'm not licking boots. That he would say these things out loud back then, you boot lickers. You know, I'm not a boot licker. You know? I just, I'm offended. He didn't care who was offended. And I'm thankful for those men. I'm thankful for those folks that stood up in a time like that and did what was not popular, that was high treason, that was, if it didn't go well, they were all going to hang. They didn't care. This is far better to hang than it is to live in servitude as far as they were concerned. We're done with it, you know. I was, I'm very thankful for that. They did something that I am still benefiting from. Their decisions that they made hundreds of years ago, I am, we are benefiting from their boldness and stance and sacrifice. Amazing sacrifice. And not self-centered. No selfishness there, you know. Only thinking about the future and their children. And that it doesn't matter if I can make my life smooth as possible. What will my kids grow up in after I'm gone kind of thing? It's just a, amazing. And so we can see that as Hezekiah asks for more time and he gets it and is only concerned about himself, maybe this Manasseh was privy to that conversation where he said, yeah, I know my boys are going to have to be taken captive and serve other kings, but I'm not, right? Can you imagine being a son and hearing that from your dad? Overhearing a conversation like that? What do you mean I'm going to be captive? What do you mean I'm going to serve in some other... What do you mean you're, you don't care if I'm a slave, Dad? Hmm. Verse 3. For he rebuilt the high places, this new king Manasseh, which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. He raised up altars for the Baals and made wooden images, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, shall be my name forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also, he caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of uh, the son of Hinnom. He practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, sorcery, consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God said to David and said to Solomon his son, in this house, the temple, and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your fathers." Only if they are careful to do all that I have commanded them, according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. It's quite a list. Quite a list of stuff. Some of the things he adds to his dad, he goes beyond what his dad had done. They brought back what dad crushed, okay, what Hezekiah had gotten rid of, and that's that's Baal and Ashtoreth. They're worshiping those two things. Those are typical Canaanite gods, typical 
things. You see those kind of gods float in and out of Israel often, unfortunately. Um, but he adds to them. He adds Moloch. He brings Moloch into this. Moloch is where they would sacrifice the babies. Um, they would just give up their kids in hopes that that would appease this Moloch and give them better kids or prosperity later on if we didn't have the burden of this kid and whoever, whatever they thought, they brought that in. And that's what it means by passing their sons to the fire. And that's uh, human sacrifice, baby sacrifice. But then he adds to it this astrology and this horoscope and this worshiping of the stars and the heavenly hosts, um, which is, uh, it's, it, it comes from Assyria is where that comes from. So take note of that. It seems like every god or everything they delve into that has something to do with another nation, those nations end up coming against them. It's like they've opened themselves up to it. And I think that's good for us as Christians. Um, What I mean by that is um, sometimes these kings think that to get along with the nations around them, they become like them, compromise, and they begin to worship gods. Like, see, we're just like you. We're no different. We're not oddballs. Remember, that's how Israel got started. They had this theocracy. They worshiped God, and God ruled them. And they said, we want a king like everybody else. That's the start of it. We want to look like everybody else. Well, then that's great. We have a king, but we're still, we've still got this religious thing that's going on. It's still so embarrassing. We have to tell them that we worship one God, and they have all these other cool gods, you know. And they look at us like we're dimwits because we don't worship this God, that God, or the other guy. So they compromise in that area. Well, what, that ha- what that does is that they're no longer on the defensive against these nations. See, they think they've assimilated. They've become like them, and they've opened themselves up to be attacked by these other nations because they're no longer defending themselves. They no longer see, they no longer see these nations as uh, someone who's trying to overtake them. No, we're just like you. There's no need for you to attack us. We're just like you. We're the same. Now our nation is just like your nation. Everything that you thought was offensive about us, we've taken out of the way. We've removed it. So now don't, don't attack us anymore because we're just like you. You visit us, we'll visit you. And that, that's how, but now the defenses are down and now you're vulnerable. And see, that's not what those other nations cared about. Nor did the nation of Israel understand what kept those nations at bay. It was the fact that they worshipped the true and living God that kept those nations in their place, that put them on their heels, as opposed to the nation of Israel being on their heels. And when you break that down, that natural understanding, when you're close to God, you begin to see the enemies for who they are and where they are. You understand it. You see spiritually. When that's gone, when that sight is gone, You don't see the threats anymore. They're your friends. I don't know how many mob movies I probably shouldn't have watched, but have. But it seems like every mob movie, right before they whack the guy, they bring him in to have a party with him. And as soon as he's under the influence, and as soon as he's all all relaxed and comfortable, and his guard is down, that's when they get him, you know? Because that's what the world does. That's what the flesh does. That's what the enemy does. Satan's not our friend. The world is not our friend. They have nothing to offer us. There's nothing we can do to diminish what offends them about us because what is us that offends them is Christ. 
And in order for me to have them like me is for me to reduce myself, reduce Christ in my life, to get rid of, to compromise. I break down those walls and all of a sudden I've opened myself up to the rat race and I'm a part of it now. And I'm in it and it's, it's, it's man eat man, woman eat woman. It's horrible. But I thought it was going to be better if I just compromised. And that's what he does. We have to be careful about this stuff. Now you're here, I'm preaching to the choir, but this stuff can creep in through horoscopes. Oh, I just read it, it's just fun, it's just entertaining. Just... It's an enemy of God. It's absolute horrible. It's horrible. I, I don't, I, I can't, <laughs> we just don't have time for that. Uh, I know what you mean and I know why you do it. Stop. Astrology? You are not an Aries. You are not a Leo. You are not a Scorpio. You're none of those things. All that stuff is garbage and opens you up to the enemy. It's all garbage. And so on and so on. Don't open yourself up to these ideas of all these other gods and begin to bring them in. It gets to the point where they begin to not only have church or the temple and have all the other gods as options, they brought them into the temple now. That's the difference here. We're setting these up, and we're not keeping it pure. And then you can have your pure other religions over here because all roads lead to heaven or lead to God. No, now they've corrupted the temple, and they've brought these things in, and they're allowed to worship these things in the temple to where it's unrecognizable, to where God had spoken of how he was to be worshipped in the Old Testament. It's not even the same place anymore. Yeah, it says temple. Yeah, the guys are sort of wearing the same clothes they wore when God gave the instructions, but there's nothing like what we used to hear. Where's the sacrifices? Where's the peace offerings? Where are the things that God had said? Where are all those things? Well, we don't do those anymore. We've, uh, we've grown. We've grown. We've evolved. Mm-mm. And so you can see where they are. Manasseh seduces Judah. So maybe we're not Manasseh. Maybe this morning you are Manasseh and you've done all these things and you don't think you can be forgiven. Well, this is an example because Manasseh repents after severe hardship, unfortunately, after being taken captive, after getting a hook potted in his nose, after being at the, in a dungeon, he finally gives it up. There's always an opportunity to repent and to return to the Lord. My concern for me is that Manasseh seduced Judah. That I need to be open and very careful with my eyes wide open as I see people that constantly are asking me to compromise in what I know what God has spoken for me to do. From the day we set foot in Maryville or Missouri to begin Bible studies here, there's been nothing, there's a reason God brought us here. And it isn't because he needed a 12th church. Now, I'm not going to say what that reason was, but I truly believe we are representing him properly and need to continue to do that. But from the moment we put our foot here, there's been nothing but people coming alongside and say, oh, well, welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, that's a little extreme, isn't it? I mean, I understand you're young, you're young, and it's been a battle every single day since we've been here to stay true to what God's called us to do. Yeah, I know you like to teach through the Bible, but could we do this some Sunday? No. Well, that was kind of harsh. 
I don't have time for, I don't have time for politics. I don't have time to make you feel nice. I'm sorry. No, we're going to teach the Bible today. Okay, okay, no, I understand that. What if we did this on a, on a Thursday or a Friday? No. Well, I just don't feel like I'm very welcomed here. No, it's that that's not welcomed here. We love God. We love his word. That's all that matters. That's all that changes hearts. That's the only thing. It's the Holy Spirit teaching us God's word. This is the only sword he owns. There is no other swords out there. We went on the Israel trip. I told you this story many times. They made me a bus pastor, and I didn't know anything about Israel, but there I was leading 56 people on a trip that could not figure out where they could sit on the bus. Oh, I wish you guys had all been there. I wish I had a bus full of you people because you guys all just sat there, been fine, would have taken turns, would have let people get off the bus, wouldn't ask me questions when it's raining outside, should I bring my umbrella? I don't know, you want to get wet? Now I say that because you're a very mature group and I know why that is and it's not because of me. But it's because we've only done what God's told us to do here, to teach his word. One of these days, you're going to pick up a book from the local Christian bookstore and begin to read it. And you're going to say, why am I reading this? I could have wrote this. Understand that. You guys are... You do things that you don't, you don't trust yourselves, I don't think. A lot of times you don't trust the fact that you're hearing from God just as well as that author ever heard from God. And you know just as much about Scripture as that author ever will know about Scripture. And in some cases, you may know more. I'm confident about every one of our Sunday school teachers could be senior pastors at churches. I say all that because this compromise slips into the nation of Israel and it shouldn't. They all know better. Manasseh seduces Judah only because Judah can be seduced. Make yourself seduced proof. Stick with what God tells you. Read his word and hold strong to it. Immovable, it says. Acts 2.42, it's our Wi-Fi passcode, just in case you wondered. You want to get on Wi-Fi? It's Acts 2.42. Yes, you got to put the colon in there. No, Acts is not capitalized. But that scripture alone, you do those four things in that scripture that continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and the breaking of bread and prayers and in fellowship. If you steadfastly stay in those four things, you'll be solid. I've never seen anybody get off track when they're steadfast on those four things. The apostles' doctrine, in the breaking of bread, in prayers, and in fellowship. You get out of fellowship, you're vulnerable to seduction. You get out of prayer, you're vulnerable to seduction. You get away from the doctrine of the apostles, you're vulnerable to seduction. You get away from, what I miss, uh, breaking of bread. You're vulnerable to seduction. Stay true to those four things. And you won't be vulnerable to seduction. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people in 2 Kings chapter 21, verses 10 through 15, not going to turn there, we can read it on your own, describes what some of the prophets said from God to Manasseh, but they would not listen. So God tried. He will always give us the easy option. He always provides a way out. He will always say, 
Let me just speak to you first. And I think every parent can understand that. We would love for our kids to hear us. Hey, 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 don't do that. Wouldn't that be great if that's all you ever had to do with it, you know? That's dangerous. Don't touch that, okay? Great. Oh, you're touching it. You know, wouldn't that be great? And so God is very faithful to speak first. Hey, hear my word. He who has ears to hear, hear my word. Just hear it. So you don't have to have a hook in your nose and brought to a dungeon and have to learn the hard way. Because I told you ahead of time, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't listen to them. Don't compromise. But they wouldn't listen. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the armies of the kings of Assyria. Those are the ones that worship the stars. I thought we were okay with the star worshipers. Nope. Assyria now comes in who took Manasseh with hooks. And what that means is they would put hooks through their noses and then chain them to the next person, put a hook in their nose, and boy, they had a nice little obedient chain. Go wherever they led you. That's why we put rings in bulls' noses. You get that ring in there, that's an interesting process in and of itself. That's not fun. But once it's in, come on, little kid, five-year-old could pull that, well, I don't know about that, but you, you know, Five, you could yank that bull around wherever you wanted to go, and you wouldn't even have to yank that hard because it's so painful. I've seen people with hooks in their noses, and I'm sure you know of friends and family that have hooks in their noses. Not literally, but spiritually speaking. And they're being led. And it breaks your heart. You wish they wouldn't. You wish they wouldn't follow after those things or get themselves into those situations where they're hooked, but they are. They've been told. They, were, they went to Sunday school. They went to kids' camp. They listened. They said they listened. They nodded. And then there they go. You wonder why. It's unnecessary. They put bronze fetters on them. They carried them off to Babylon. What? Wait, I thought it was Assyria. It's a, it's a first step. They brought him to Babylon. Now, when he was in affliction, and that's what it took for him, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him, God, and he, God, received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Apparently up until now he didn't. Apparently whatever Hezekiah taught him didn't stick. Went in one ear and out the other. It wasn't until he had a hook brought in his nose and he was at his own depths and had no one to pull him out but God is when he finally cried out to him and sometimes that's what it takes for people. And I want you to know that this morning. This is the mercy of God we're seeing here. I mean, that's some pretty bad stuff when you need a whole nation for 55 years into all these things to the point where you actually destroy the worship of God in your nation and yet when you cried out, God heard you or heard him and gave him repentance and allowed him to come back and actually puts him back. It says uh, he put him back into Jerusalem and, and, and his, in his kingdom. I mean, it's not like he got set free and was, he's now like a lumberjack or something, you know, but he's actually put back on the throne. And that's a second chance if I ever saw one. I mean, that's amazing to be put back on the throne. But dad's faith did not connect with Manasseh. What Hezekiah did did not transfer over for some reason. It wasn't personal. It has to be. 
Verse 14, after this, he built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate. And it enclosed, it enclosed uh, Ophel, and he raised it to a very great height. Then he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. Now, that's exactly what we were talking about before. He now recognizes as he's holy God's, completely his, who his enemy is. And he begins to fortify himself against those that are not on his side, that are not looking out for his best interests. That although they want him to compromise, it's not so that they can get along, it's so that he can be overtaken, you see. And so he begins to build up defenses in his life for the nation of Israel, begins to care about the sheep as before he didn't. He begins to make sure that his family, his city is guarded He took away the foreign gods and the idols from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. And he cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on the high places, but only to the Lord their God. Now, what he's saying is uh, the high places were still a place of worship, but they just worship the true and living God there now. Still not okay. Only supposed to worship in the temple. Only. So it's still a little bit of a compromise left there. And if you missed it, he commanded Judah to serve. He commanded them. So he legislated them to serve the God, which never holds. It never holds. I'm not saying he's wrong. I think that's what you have to do. Hey, look, whether you like it or not, this nation is going to worship the true and living God. That's how it's going to be. We don't like it. I don't care if you like it. We're going to do it anyway. And some of you parents know what that's like as you bring your kids to church. Get up. I don't want to go to church. I don't care if you want to go to church or not. You're coming to church. I'm not going to pay attention. I'm going to slouch. I'm not going to listen. Okay, but you're still coming. You're still coming. But that legislation, although well-meaning and probably appropriate, what else are you going to do? Oftentimes, just doesn't take. They don't receive it. It's got to become personal. And parents, it may take a hook in the nose for the kids to get it, unfortunately. You hope not. The only way I can tell you uh, to guard against that I was told often in the beginning of the ministry that I was to focus on the ministry and God would take care of my family. I heard that from senior pastor after senior pastor at pastor's conferences, and it did not ring true to me. It just didn't. Take heed to the ministry and God will take care of your family. How are, how are they not my ministry? How do you separate your family from your ministry? How do you say that? These are the very first sheep he's ever given me. How can I say, well, the first sheep God will take care of, but I'm going to focus on these sheep over here and expect that. That didn't ring true. It doesn't sound biblical to me. And I read time and time again about these kings, and I see senior pastors losing their kids. And I'm not saying I couldn't. I'm not saying it can't happen. My kids all have free will, and they can choose to walk away from the Lord, and they may all need hooks in their noses at one point. Please, if you're listening, Dirk's kids, don't do it. But I felt compelled. I need to show them and be a shepherd in my home and to love them and to care for them and to make sure that they were my priority and very important to me and more important 
honestly, than anybody else in this world. Everybody else is secondary to my first sheep that you make sure that you're taken care of and loved and taught and whatever else I have get to do. So far, so good. You know, they still have free will. But I think it goes a long way when you show it at home. I think it goes a long way when you don't just teach it or memorize it or uh, dictate or point. It helps a lot when you do. When you do it and they see it. So, he did all that. Brought him all the way back. Now, verse 18. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh. His prayer to his God and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Indeed, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. Also his prayer and how God received his entreaty and all his sin and trespass and the sites where he built high places and set up wooden images and carved images before he was humbled. Indeed, they are written among the sayings of Hosei. I don't know. We don't have that book. It's called the Seers. Is how that translate the, the book of Seers. We don't have it. So Manasseh rested with his fathers, and they buried him in his own house. Then his son Ammon reigned in his place, and Ammon only gets two years. Ammon, Ammon didn't get it. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. For Ammon sacrificed to all the carved images which his father Manasseh had made and served them. And he did not humble himself before the Lord, which is the difference between the two. Ammon didn't ever repent. Not that he had a lot of time. He had two years before he gets assassinated here. And he did not humble himself before the Lord, as his father Manasseh had humbled himself. But Ammon trespassed more and more. He tried to outdo, you know. Then his servants conspired against him and killed him in his own house. But the people of the land, well, they executed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. Then the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. So, maybe that answers our question that we had at the very beginning. What if Hezekiah hadn't had Manasseh? Well, we wouldn't have had Josiah either. You know, it's interesting how things turn out. Now, Josiah, next week, you're going to love him. He's a great little kid. Little eight-year-old kid, loves the Lord, tells everybody around him what's up. It's wonderful, wonderful. And if you didn't enjoy today, it is kind of a hard one as you read about this decline. Good for us, though. Oh, Josiah. He's just a breath of fresh air at the end of this, um, towards the end of this anyway, who just, he just loves the Lord and wonders why. Why are we not doing what God tells us to do? What a great question from a little kid. I mean, he's older when he says it, but... Why are we just not doing what God tells us to do? He's just so simple and just, it doesn't get any better than that. So hopefully, uh, if you return next week, we'll, we'll get into that and, and we'll just relish and enjoy Josiah. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you for being so honest with the history of Israel and um, using it to teach us so we don't have to have a hook in our nose. We can actually listen and read and watch what happens to these people and and pick up on it much faster. Lord, help us to remove all the compromises in our life, all those areas that are creeping in, that the world and even some Christians say is okay. Help us not to be seduced by it. Help us to stay true to you, to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, that we would not uh, drift away, but we get even closer to you. Lord, we lift up our kids to you. 
We pray that they would see you, Jesus, in our lives, not in our words only, but in our actions and our deeds. That they would be drawn to that grace, that mercy, that love. They would recognize where that comes from, that it comes from you, and that they would get it from the source as well. They'd go right to you. That they grow up with you. They would never have to know these hardships in these times because they've followed you all the days of their life. They would never have to go through what many of us went through in our days of rebellion against you. That they would just walk with you and thoroughly enjoy it and just be thankful. Lord, we thank you for this book. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the sword of the spirit, how it gets right into our hearts and changes us from the inside out, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. We'd be glad to pray with you.